Welcome to the Exploring Leadership Podcast, where we interview experienced HR leaders and executives to define what the most effective leaders are made of and how to help underperforming leaders transform into the best they can be. Brought to you by Lumen Leadership. Now, here's your host, Spencer Taylor. I am so excited today to have as my guest on the show, Sarah Harris, who is the Chief Human Resource Officer at FSB Architects and Engineers. Sarah, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to learn from you. I already have began that, begun that process um, in our preliminary kind of our prep conversation we had a little bit ago and just excited to hear you expound on some of the lessons you've learned and uh, all those good things. So let's start, though. I'd love to just allow uh, our listeners to get to know you a bit. And of course, I'm anxious to know more about you too. So uh, what are your kind of the highlights of your life, the the few things that you'd like to share so we kind of have some context for who you are? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in a small town in California and out of high school went right into the military um, and served in an HR capacity for the most part. Um, Learned about, you know, if you do something for one soldier, you're doing it for hundreds of thousands of soldiers or, you know, it's everything is, is a mass scale. And in the 90s, we didn't have the technology we had today. So we learned kind of the, the paper process of it or the green screen, you know, computer systems process of it. Um, and out of the military and served time in Georgia and Germany and um, landed back in California to go to school. Um, college, had a family, young family, as we were going through school, and um, got my degree in HR, business and HR management, and went went to work for Citigroup right out of college, and um, again, back in an organization with 260,000 employees, so if you did um, a process for one, you were doing it for many, and I, I started in the HR shared services team at Citigroup, and I always tell the story. I started my career processing FMLA and leave claims for socials ending in seven through nine for the Midwestern United States. And so just very repetitive. I was um, one of maybe 120 people in our HR shared services division and just learned processes and business continuity processes. And, you know, we had to write disaster plans if something happened to our location in Irving, Texas, we had to make sure that New York could process things. So just early exposure to um, how work was performed. And I just really had a passion for it. I'm learning from those large organizations. I did that for about a year at Citigroup before I um, went a little batty and said, I need to go have more variety in my day. So I started working in smaller organizations. I went to work for a city as a generalist and um, grew into HR management leadership roles and um, landed in consulting about 10 years ago and um, did consulting for a decade and really enjoyed it. Um, Worked with a lot of small businesses, smaller organizations that were implementing technology or needing to grow their business or learn how to manage their talent. Um, And so just spent a lot of time in that kind of process improvement, people um, development, organizational effectiveness, um, and have really, really enjoyed it. Had some great exposure to some great organizations. That's awesome. I I love it. One of the the things I already admire about you is just that you 
you chose to enter your career in HR and you've stayed in HR, uh, like you, even through that kind of the dark times of, <laughs> mm-hmm. of Citigroup, not that they were dark, I'm sure there, there was good things, but you know, you mentioned it just was tedious work and just like one more and one more, like exactly the same thing for X number of people. And um, for me, I, I don't know that I could have endured that. So uh, like, how, how did you, I guess, at what point did you fully commit to HR? Was that like from day one, you just knew you wanted to do that and you never looked back or were, were there times where you're like, well, maybe I'll do something else. And then you finally decided to stay in this, in the world of HR. Yeah. It's, that's a funny story. Um, I always wanted to be a teacher growing up. So from the time I was a little girl, I was going to be a teacher and um, happened to kind of land in HR in the military. I actually, my official job was a truck driver. That's what got me my okay. college fund. Yeah. But in the 90s, they pulled females out of the motor pool and put them up in the offices and you just did HR or administrative work. Um, so when I got out of the Army, I um, went to school, started, went to college. In my first semester, I started to work towards my liberal arts degree to be a teacher. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be a teacher, then I probably need to become a teacher's aide somewhere. I need to get plugged into the, and start building my resume while I'm in school. And I have never, I have never left a job without notice until I was a, I went into the classroom and I was just what I saw from the challenges that the teachers dealt with and the children and some of the behaviors. I thought, wow, this is probably not for me. Like I'm, I, God did not grace me or give me this strength needed to be able to be a teacher. So I have the utmost respect for teachers because I, I managed, was in a classroom for two days and couldn't cut it. Hmm. Um, and so ended up kind of going back to, you know, sometimes they say the HR is like the principal or the, you know, of the organization. So that's my closest connection to, to you know, my childhood dream of being a teacher. But now I, you know, teach and develop and train um, people on how to lead organizations or, you know, be great managers and leaders to their people and to their team members and um, how to collaborate. So mm. just doing it with a different age group, but. Yeah. So. Well, that, I think that's so. awesome. Yeah. I, I love that, um, that you're really living your dream, but it just took a different form than your original vision. Like you say. Yeah. Like yeah. You're, you're I think teaching. that loving to work with people and um, kind of training and, and developing, um, you know, and I always used to tease my kids that I would almost kind of communicate with them like they were employees, mm. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. being able to, well, okay, so what's your, what's your pathway to get this completed? And how are you going to, what's your plan to do that? Uh, we just kind of navigated, my husband's in HR as well. So we've just both been in that mindset our whole careers. Oh, okay. That's awesome. Uh, I have children as well. My wife and I have six kids and sometimes I wish I could fire my kids. You know, you can't, you can't just like, okay, go find a job somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or let's talk about a professional development plan for you. How are we going to correct this behavior? That's right. No, I, I, that's good for me. I'm shifting in my mind, maybe in the future, the way I think about discipline, I'll try to put on that HR hat for just a second and <laughs> yeah. more diplomatic than maybe I sometimes am. So that's good. If I, if I had an employee go stand in the corner, that probably wouldn't be good. 
but no, yeah, it's, no, it doesn't always work the reverse. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't cross those lines too much. <laughs> well, so I'm you, you've already kind of naturally mentioned a couple of times, one of the, the things that stood out to me as we kind of planned this conversation, um, the word communication, uh, you mentioned that, I think you said something like 90% of just as a, you know, just to represent the majority uh, of issues that you have come across and helped solve really revolve around poor communication or lack of communication breakdown, you know, those types of things. So can we dig into that a bit? Like what are the main principles that kind of live within that, that maybe will be helpful to those listening and give them some insights? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, everyone enjoys fun, happy communication, um, you know, celebrating people, celebrating wins, you know, we can always throw a party for people when they've done well. Um, but if things aren't going in the right direction, those conversations become really hard and they become, you know, kind of stammer around it and um, not being really clear and how that communication looks to the recipient. Um, I try to, you know, really encourage people, whether it's teammates or leaders or managers, you know, to, if you're on the receiving end of this communication, um, it can it can just be an open dialogue. We just want to be able to have a conversation about it, and um, and kind of starting a conversation that we can all agree that okay, we're going to have a, just a transparent, open conversation today, and let's talk about some of some of the topics may be a little bit hard, but let's all agree that we're gonna we're all grown ups. We can all get through difficult conversations and kind of setting the stage um, to facilitate that level of communication. I think is really just a good um, opener to that transparency and that feedback um, from you know all all parties involved. Yeah, I'm curious if I can interject a question. I just why do you think it is that people kind of get weird or or aren't aren't nearly as communicative when it comes to kind of those crucial conversations? To borrow from the the vital smarts term, or or you know right. the, the tough like when you're in a negative conflict setting because I've seen it as well, like people tend to forget all the, it's almost like if we forget our skills uh, of the past, like what is it that happens to us that causes You know, there's, there's, there's so many factors that um, are going to impact a person's ability to facilitate that conversation and give the feedback um, and then the person receiving it. So you're, it's their experience, um, typically will we'll go more emotional. Hmm. So if somebody has not, if the person giving the feedback has not been someone that's receptive to it as, as well, then they really stumble over how to deliver it. Um, and then on the, the receiving end, if they have, um, they, you know, there's a natural defense to us. We all want to do well. We all want to have justified in our own mind of why we may have done something. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a defensive conversation versus a more collaborative, let's work towards a solution and what it looks like next time. Um, I always really encourage anyone entering into a difficult, difficult conversation is like, let's always look from the other person's lens, um, whether that's you know the employee or the per- person being communicated to from the manager's lens of what they're trying to accomplish, but also from the, from the leader's lens of, let's assume that everyone, let's assume that the majority of people are coming and trying to get their best. I'm a firm believer that people don't wake up and say, I'm gonna go just do a really terrible job for my employer today. Yeah. Just not gonna 
not going to give my effort, not going to give my work. I'm just going to really go in and do a poor job. That does, that's not how people are wired. We, we want to do our best. And sometimes there's, there's organizational uh, factors that impact that. It's training and development. Are people equipped and have the right tools? Um, do we have a, a strong onboarding program to get people up and, and um, feeling effective and feeling like they've been trained and they know where information lies? Um, I see this phenomenal or um, this phenomena in COVID that all, you know, with the great resignation, everybody is moving, right? So we have our organizations have literally um, have two main groups. We've got a group of people who have stuck with the organization. They are really committed, they're loyal, they, they wanna stick it out, but they are tired and they are weary. And um, maybe some organizations haven't kept up with the chat, the changes in industries um, through COVID. So it's turned our work, our remote workforce upside down. It's turned our, how, how clients engage, how we get deliverables out the door, how we communicate, like every organization has gone through an evolution. And employees who have stuck with it, but the organization are weary because they remember what it was back in February 2020 before we all got sent home. Mm, yeah. And we just want to go back to those days. Like we may have had some craziness and some chaos, but nothing that we're left with, right? And then you've got this other part of the organization of all of the people who've left their organizations and started fresh. And you know, they're part of this movement of the great resignation and they're coming in energized, ready to go. They are thinking of new ideas, how we can do things better. Like, you know, they're just motivated because they just left their weary organization. And so they've like shed all of the baggage and they're ready to go. And so balancing these two groups is really, you know, how do we how do we empower and re-engage our weary, our group that may be weary and getting burned out? And how do we multiply the um, the engagement and the um, we just really want to maximize that energy that our new hires are bringing in? Mm-hmm. So it's just it's something that I just haven't seen in a long time that we have this big of shifts in organizations. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I love how you articulated that uh, kind of the, the gap between those two groups. Uh, and, and it just kind of the thought came to me that maybe part of, well, and you, you kind of touched on it, but the key uh, that's keeping people stuck, I guess, those that, that have been with the organization through the transition is kind of the failure to accept that things will not go back to normal. Like there, there's not a reversion back to February 2020, like you said but rather like together we can kind of help define and shape a new normal for our organization. And certainly a component of that is, is the fact that we're now more than ever uh, it's normal to be virtual, right. To, uh-huh. to work virtual, to have, to have, even to have kind of going back to our previous segment, to have some of these crucial conversations uh, through zoom and through teams, uh, uh-huh. which, which is a different experience, right. Even if you're able to see each other, it's still not quite the same as, as being in person. So I don't know. I know that's more just, there wasn't a question in there, but like, do you, do you have uh, anything to elaborate on there or, or agree, disagree? Like you're welcome to push back if you feel like I got any of that wrong or whatever you think. No, I, I think that that's really kind of where we are is um, 
the great resignation, I don't think is, we're not at the end of it. I mean, I think we still have more shifting that's going to happen. And um, I think organizations are really looking at, okay, how do we, how do we really focus on retention? Because the people who have stuck it out have great contributions to the organization. Like they have that, um, that institutional knowledge that is so valuable. Yeah. Like even though we may evolve as an organization and even though we may have to create the new normal, you still have to know how things used to be done in order to create the new normal, mm-hmm. right? So that, that segment of the workforce is so valuable. So how do we um, re-energize and encourage that, um, you know, your coworker who started, you know, two months ago and is raring to go and, you know, high energy, uh, how do we blend those two to like, you know, layer the, the institutional knowledge, the, the reputations that companies have, the, the um, market um, share that they have, like all of that is so important. And then we get to take that to another level. But the alignment of the two groups has to be facilitated by your leadership, you know, and, and maximizing both both sets of um, of all your talent in the organization. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I'm curious in uh, whether it's with FSB architects or, or with past organizations, what, what's working well <clears throat> for you? Like, how are you trying to answer that question that you've presented of, of the integration of both groups and leveraging the energy of both? Yeah, so um, I think we're for a long time, we're for since you know COVID kind of impacted organizations. You know, um, having the the number of events and employee engagements and activities, you know, that kind of all dwindled off. So ramping back up the opportunity to bring people together to to get to know one another, to fellowship, to kind of facilitate those in person gatherings again. That um, I remember when you know, COVID first happened in the organization of that, you know, we started doing virtual happy hours for, you know, the first eight weeks. Um, and it was kind of, it was kind of cool in the moment of like, we're making the best of our, our situation, you know, but two years later, it's like, okay, virtual happy hours is not it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get back together. We need to connect. Um, and some organizations are remote um, fully, like they haven't come back. You know, you read about where, you know, companies are really considering just staying in these, these remote workforces. Um, you know, that's something we have to look at as a, um, com- our competitors may, um, you know, they may have changed their model in a way that they're able to, you know, recruit remotely, like we're 100% remote. Like we have to be prepared to have a balance to that. Um, and, you know, with architects and engineers, there's these large plans that get rolled out and, you know, it takes collaboration around the group of, you know, kind of spending time on a client's, you know, floor plan or building plan and, and construction documents. That's a, that's a team effort that isn't um, ever going to be replicated by, a, you know, 32-inch, 36-inch monitor over Teams. Like you need that touch point and that that collaboration is really valuable for the architects, the engineers, the project managers to be working together. Um, so it's it's just really shifting to say, okay, where's that balance in between and how do we leverage that collaboration and the importance of connecting people and valuing one another's input 
outside of a, outside of a screen. So that our time together is valuable and is um, leveraged to maximize the collaboration. Yeah, I love that. I, I just I like what you how you describe that because I think it's it's being very careful in deciding what. I guess what uh, format makes the most sense to solve a certain problem? Like you're saying, there's certain mm -hmm. problems that just can't be solved remotely and need to be in person. Like just kind of, uh, I, I guess, intentional and just being careful about how you do that instead of just assuming that, well, we have to do this right. uh, one certain way or how it's always been done. And that, and that, and that does open up the door for uh, innovations as well, right? Uh, to right. look at new ways of doing it. Even it's funny because right before we started our meeting, I noticed that Zoom has this new feature in the views, it's called immersive. <clears throat> and it, it actually shows like, I was actually going to have it on when you came in, because I, I thought it'd be a little bit funny, but I decided not to. <laughs> but it's like, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> if I turned it on, it would, it would look as if you and I are sitting in chairs next to each other in the same room. Like, oh, wow. I could like point over at you and be like, there you are. <laughs> anyway, oh, wow. But I think that's, that's indicative of, uh, again, that the, the need for us to feel like we're together even if we can't be together like that, that togetherness and connection uh, in real life, like with other human beings in the room uh, is yeah. a need still. Uh, and I think even like early on the data, there was research that was showing that people were actually quite a bit more productive overall working remote, but that the one area that things fell off was connection. Was that? Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, I came from an organization and we had a very, um, very people-centric team we were a small group and very close relationships we were we were an HR consulting group in um, a CPA firm mm. so we were our own little niche and um, we had just great connection um, but when we went remote like our productivity went through the roof like we could crank out the work like we had not done before so productivity we were you know very high. And, um, but I know that one of our challenges um, was the connection, not so much our group, but, but as a whole, um, the connection piece was really a challenge of uh, just staying connected to other groups and other teams. And um, now that I, I've shifted and moved into my role at FSB and I'm in the office, you know, five days a week, I may work remotely, I don't know, once every three weeks or so just to do some productive uh, project work. Yeah. But my role is different, but my connection is it's like so much clearer. I'm connecting with individuals, I'm connecting with managers and leaders that if I was remote would not be happening. And so I think that's that's a you know real value, especially if someone in HR, you know, we need to be connected, connecting with people. That's our role is to stay that connection to what's happening in the organization. Um, so definitely see a, a difference there. Sure. Oh, great. I love it. Well, so um, kind of shifting into our final segment, I just have a couple of, uh, again, like a complete gear shift type questions for you. Okay. As you reflect on your uh, your career up to this point, and you've, you've got so much great experience, what would you say is the hardest thing you've ever had to do as a leader? Um, when I, I, I worked in Dallas for an organization uh, for five years as their HR um, manager, and then I went into um, consulting for a bit 
And then I went back to them in a, uh, about three or four years later in a consulting type role. And it was, it was, and then we moved to Oklahoma. So Texas to Oklahoma. My, my most difficult challenge was um, probably the transition of the move. So I commuted back and forth for six, about six months. And um, it was, it was a challenge to be in a leadership role in an organization that was on, on site and not being able to fully be present with my team, be present with my leadership group um, and lead the way that I am accustomed to leading. So it's probably one of the things that I look back at the most and just um, wish I would have tra- prepared a different transition plan than it was. Um, and so I'm, a, I'm kind of a, um, I haven't always been a huge believer that you can always go back to an organization. And I probably shouldn't say that out loud because in today's economy, we want the marine employees. Like if you leave and you come back, like we will welcome you back with open arms. Sure. Um, and I will be more than happy to commit to making sure you're successful coming back. Um, it was hard for me to go back to an organization where you, you just back, not the same. Your influence, your relationships—it's um, just not the same. And people perceive, that and you came back. It's just not the same. And so that was always probably a challenge for me. Um, I look back at my lessons learned. That was that one of them. Okay. That if you don't ever have a month transition out of an organization, it doesn't ever need to be that long. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No. I, those are great words of wisdom. And and I think it's interesting too, just that. Your that that greatest challenge actually ties in pretty nicely with uh, what you talked about previously, uh, in the sense that because you weren't physically present with the other leaders, uh, you didn't have the same connection and weren't able to to get quite yeah. the, the things done that you're you're hoping to do. So I guess it's obliquely related, but still there's the idea of in person yeah. versus remote leadership. And again, I, I think it really highlights how much more significant the challenge is if you're the minority, if, if you're having to lead remote, yeah. everyone else is not. If everybody's doing it together, then it's kind of like an, a natural level playing field. But if, if like I say, if it's, a, if it's got that imbalance, it does represent a more significant uphill battle yeah. for the leader. So that's, that's good food for thought. <clears throat> so yeah. how about uh, on the more uh, sunny side of the same question, but in reverse, what's the most fun you've had as, as a leader or the coolest thing you feel like you've done? And then we'll kind of tie a bow around it. Um, the most fun, I think, when I transitioned over to consulting, I um, transitioned into a, like a strategy consultant um, for an HR technology firm and um, blessed an amazing manager and leader who was very intentional about teaching me about um, client service, client management, um, being always being two steps ahead, always being proactive. Like she just taught me what I needed to know. And I think for a year and a half, two years, I was a road warrior consultant, traveled all the time and made some great relationships and had great exposure. It was just a really kind of a cool season when you first go into consulting and you're learning the ropes and, um, you know, you walk into a room just so scared. I remember the first time I walked into a, you know, when I was consulting and facilitating a, a session, you just, 
have to almost fake it till you make it. Sure. Just, she was so encouraging and just um, allowed me to have fun in it, be fun with it for my, my kind of crossover transition to consulting that I'll never forget those days. And I take lessons um, that Mimi gave me from, from back in 2012 when I transitioned into consulting. That's awesome. I love it. So, well, yeah. And, and it's, I think there's a powerful principle. I hope our listeners are taking note because uh, the, you, the toughest thing you've ever done was at least in part because you had to do it alone. And the most fun mm-hmm. you've ever had is because you had a great leader and mentor for you that was, that was just right there with you and encouraging and supporting and training and teaching and, yep. and all those things. So I, I think there's something really powerful there, kind of going back all the way to uh, that, that uh, initial powerful question you asked about how do we how do we re-energize those that have, have stayed? How do we leverage the energy of those that are new? I think there's kind of an answer embedded in, in yeah. experiences. Yeah, we have to let people um, learn and grow and, and make mistakes and coach them through mistakes. Um, if there's anything I've learned about um, kind of client management or if, you know, if you're a client-facing individual, clients can be really forgiving. Like for the most, I probably, you know, I'm a big believer in the 80-20 rule. If you can do create processes and create functions for 80, what happens 80% of the time, yeah. um, you know, we handle the other 20% by exception. That's a great model. One of my great leaders, uh, sure, you know, kind of molded that into me as well. I have loved kind of navigating through client management in my career. If you're proactive and you can stay two steps ahead and if you can... Um, lead the client versus the, you know, having to react to a client. Um, Clients are full of grace most of the time and they really are reasonable. You'll have some that are not, they're the exception, but if you can be proactive and manage that, um, then we, we have to allow people to um, be confident and you know, making choices, making decisions, producing work. And if there's mistakes, we coach them through it. Mm-hmm. We give them feedback on what to do better next time. Um, kind of having after action reviews of, okay, let's look to see what, what we did in this deliverable and where some of our hiccups were and how are we going to improve upon that next time so that, you know, we can streamline that process. I think that that continuous learning, that continuous trying to improve um, is far more attainable than seeking perfection Um, because perfection will um, it will it it can run people to where they are not engaged and they will never feel like they're reaching to where they need to be so this coaching culture um, teaching development making it okay like it's so important in today's today's world because um, people can up and go and get re-energized going to another organization. So um, we're really focused on uh, making sure that people are, are comfortable, they are equipped to do what they need to do, and um, they have the ability to, to grow in their careers and just you know make the most of who they wanna be as an architect or an engineer or a consultant or a project manager. Awesome. No, that, that's great stuff. So uh, last thing then, and, and you've, you've already given us several throughout our conversation, as far as action items, something we can go mm-hmm. take and, and apply immediately after people finish this episode. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add or one particular 
action that comes to mind. Again, we, we covered a lot of ground, so you can pick from any any part of our conversation or even something new that's popping into your mind. Yeah, I, I think I would encourage people to um, always come into scenarios that people have the best that are, are coming to it with the best intention. If we can keep that front and center and um, be courageous to start a conversation to um, agree that we can have hard conversations, people do hard things. Sometimes the hard thing is having a difficult conversation. Let's be open, honest about it, and let's navigate through it. And um, and then don't don't hold on to it. Like don't hold grudges. Don't hold it over people's head. Like if we can have an adult conversation, we can have a difficult conversation. We can identify what the action steps are. Then let's move on and let's start moving forward. Um, I'm I've. I think that's one thing, and I, you know, it's kind of weird being on the, in the people business. I'm not overly emotional. Um, from a, I, I typically don't get. There's occasions I've gotten emotional, but for the most part, I keep things pretty just reasonable or um, non, non emotional. I guess. Yeah. Don't hold hold things against people. So it's like we have a difficult conversation. We kind of navigate through what needs to happen, and then we can go to happy hour after work if you want to. Like, I just, I don't hold on to it. And I would encourage people to, if if people can take feedback, they can say, okay, let me self-reflect, change my behaviors, and I can still be comfortable around you. Like, that's a win-win. If you make people uncomfortable and they feel like they're always going to be under a microscope, microscope, they're never going to be able to come out of it. Mm -hmm. They're always going to be self-conscious and and wondering if they're meeting the leader's expectations. Yeah. Set the expectations, give feedback, coach them through it and, and let it go. Um, you've got to let people take the feedback and, and implement it into their, their habits. I love that. And, I, and I'm really grateful you, you kind of brought us full circle because that was early on in our conversation. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful because I know we both come from kind of a process background and an appreciation for good processes. So as you've been talking, I've, I've tried to outline basically the steps that you've shared I love that earlier you you shared the importance of assuming positive intent, uh, just starting in that place of the assumption that everyone's trying to do something good today. They don't come to work thinking, I think I'll just give like a 20% today, you know. Um, right. And then two, so that's step one, assume positive intent. Step two is, I'm, I just called it set the foundation, which is kind of what you said about, we're going to talk about some tough things and that's okay. And we're grownups and we can do this and just kind of like right. setting the setting that foundation. And then you also mentioned standing in their shoes, like try to see things from the other person or, or, or person's uh, vantage point. Uh, what would it be like to be this person, you know, this person versus just to see things from my standpoint. And then four is kind of generic, but just to communicate clearly, just to commit to clarity, I guess, maybe as a way to say it. And then your, your last statement about not holding on to mistakes. I think that's, um, certainly not a perfect process speaking of not pursuing perfection, but, but that those steps, I think if, if uh, all of us will try to implement one or more of those, even it doesn't have to be all right. of them. I think we'll, we'll be better off. Communication will flow more, more smoothly and we'll ultimately mm-hmm. be able to keep the right people engaged uh, even whether, whether that's the old or the new uh, and, and just have a, a great organization. So anyway, any final thoughts though? I'll leave the last word to you. Well, it's, it's been uh, really great connecting with you today, Spencer. And I, I um, you know, I'm just really passionate about people and, and um, how organizations kind of work together across teams and 
um, communicate and just getting to that organizational effectiveness is just really my passion. And um, I'm, I appreciate the opportunity to kind of share some of my um, thoughts from my, you know, over my career and kind of where, where we, where we lead through. So. Wonderful. Well, well, thanks for being so generous with, with your wisdom, with your time. Uh, I'm excited to get feedback on this episode and, and I know it'll be positive because you're, you're positive and you've just shared so much light with us today on this episode. Thank, so thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Exploring Leadership Podcast. To access free videos, leadership tools, case studies, tutorials, and more about how to engage your leaders at the next level, visit lumenleader.com. We'll see you next time.